Good morning. Good morning. Uh, my name's Larry. I work with the youth uh, mainly here, and uh, I'm reminded this morning what a tremendous blessing it's been to do that because uh, Jeff filled in for me this morning teaching a Bible study that we call Fire, uh, and I realized how much I miss being back there um, with the kids because they, they keep you on point. If you want to make sure uh, that you're sharp, go ahead and work with kids because they don't know which questions they're not supposed to ask. Uh, they don't think they have it all figured out yet, and they will tell you the truth. Um, and then I, uh, I saw some other youth coming in. We've got youth that have come through the youth group that are getting ready to get married and are talking about finding their first place to live. And then I've got youth that are started their families and getting ready to, to have babies. And it's just really, uh, really a blessed thing. So uh, today, before I get started, it's a really big day for me um, because... It's not just that I get to be here with you guys, but I get to celebrate uh, somebody that I love very much um, as they celebrate their birthday. Um, yeah. So Jim, happy birthday. Um, I just wanna say congratulations. I love you, man. And for everybody else who doesn't know, it's my wife's birthday uh, today as well. So there's some good news and bad news about me preaching today. The, the good news is you don't hear it that often, so you don't suffer that much. And the bad news is that I have about eight months worth of stuff stored up that you're going to get hit with this morning. Uh, so those of you guys that don't get to church all that often, I got good news for you. You're going to get about two months worth uh, before we leave this morning. Um, now, I, uh, I've struggled with this uh, quite a bit um, because I want to give the right gravity to what we're talking about today. I wanted to talk about, we as a church have been going through John, and what a great book that is to start to understand who Jesus is, and the many stories in there about him. And, and as, a, as Christians, we know we're supposed to talk about Jesus. That's, that's one of the first things we know. You need to know Jesus. You need to talk about Jesus. You need to share Jesus. And I thought, what better way to know Jesus than to go into John and look at what Jesus says about himself? What is it that Jesus says? If I'm going to tell somebody about Jesus, I would sure hope that it lines up with what Jesus says about himself. So that's what I want to do today, is to go through those. Before we get started, though, I'm going to be preaching from God's Word. And I want to remind you and, and that are here and share with visitors the way our church feels about God's Word. We believe this book is absolute truth, without error. We believe that this book was written by men but inspired by God, that this is God-breathed. That's very important because I'm going to be sharing some things with you guys out of this book today that I believe are absolute truth. The other thing that I want to remind you is if you come to church a whole lot, we kind of fall into this mode that we hear these teachings, we hear these stories so much, they almost become like they're just stories, they're fables. But what I want to remind you today as we dive into the power of these statements that Jesus makes about himself is that these happened at real events with real people in real places. When Jesus was talking to them and they were challenging him or he was trying to teach and he says, I am this, it's because he was trying to reveal himself to the world. It's real. 
It's real people. It's real places. So if we could drop a little bit, um, our regular attenders, if we could drop a little bit and just realize that and kind of get real about it again and understand what we're talking about, I think the power of this is incredible. I think the boldness of these statements is incredible. And I don't want that to be lost as we kind of just fall into like it's a fable. So having said all that, man, I know I could use some prayer. So if I could pray for us, then we'll get started. Father God, we love you so much. And we come here this morning to worship you. We do that humbly, God, so that all glory is to you. This message this morning, Father, is just to deepen our relationship with you and your Son. Father, may the Spirit guide us in all truth as we dive into your word. We're desperate for you. We're hungry for you and your Son that satisfies. Thank you, God, for this morning. Thank you for the souls that are in this room. I pray, Spirit, that you're working. God, please stir hearts. such an awesome time to be here in your presence. We love you, and it's through your son we pray. Amen. Okay, we're going to be in John, um, and we're going to start with the first I am statement that can be found in John 6. In John 6, 35, Jesus then declared, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry, and he who believes in me will never be thirsty. So I have to tell you guys, um, one of our students who I won't name, but she was leading worship on the keys, um, <laughs> came to me a couple weeks ago and said, hey, I'm going to be leading worship and I need to know, uh, you know what you're going to be teaching on uh, so that I can kind of find songs that, that will align with that. And I said, I have no idea. Um, no, I said, well, here's what I'm going to be doing. I'm going to be doing the I am statements. And then I, I tend to get real jazzed up and nerd out on this stuff. And so I start trying to talk to her about it. And I'm like, but you know, Laura, I have to tell everything that's going on before the verse because the verse has to carry the weight of the verse. And if you don't know where they are and what's going on and who he's talking to, then the verse. And she just smiled and nodded at me. And she says, yeah. You always say, like, here's the verse we're going to talk about, but first I need to explain the whole Bible to you. <laughs> and I said, I think that might be the best compliment and the biggest cut down that I've ever got, like, in the, in the same thing. It was, it was absolutely fantastic. So I, I want you just to know that I'm going to be in that battle this morning because what I'd really like to do is to go back and reread through the entire book of John highlighting these I am statements, but we all have things planned this afternoon, so... Let's, uh, let's talk about I am the bread of life. In this case, Jesus is talking to the 5,000 that he had just fed. A lot of those people have followed him, and they're following him for a couple reasons. We've taught through this already, so I'm going to do this more interactively like we do in fire because it takes the pressure off of me. Why do you think they followed him? They were still hungry, right? Hungry for him? Hungry for that bread, right? These people got a free meal. They know where he goes, there might be another free meal. I, I, in one of the commentaries I was reading, I was really struck by something. It said, if there was a sign that said spiritual fulfillment, and there was a sign that said free meal, which line would be longer? 
That's real convicting. That's real scary because that's the world that we're trying to reach. And that's the world that Jesus was trying to reach when he said, I am the bread of life. He's talking to people that were in the line for the free meal and he's trying to get them to switch over to the line of spiritual fulfillment. Jesus knows that. He knows this crowd that he's talking to. He knows that some of them know and make reference right back to the manna that was given to their ancestors. He knows that these people are there for their physical hunger. And when he says that, he wants them to know that what he brings them is so much more. That provision that he provides is so much greater than just today's physical need. Then I started thinking about that and I thought, have you ever been hungry, like, like really hungry? Have you ever been in that place where there's, there is nothing to eat and there's, there's nothing you can find to satisfy? That's where our world is. Jesus is telling these people, just like he's telling us through his word today, that he is that provision, that he is our sustainer. So when Jesus says, I am the bread of life, what Jesus is telling us is, I am your provision. I am your sustainer. Please step out of that line focused on what your physical need is today, and please step over into this line of spiritual fulfillment. If we move on into John chapter 8, Jesus is talking to a different group now. Jesus has gone to the Feast of the Tabernacles in Jerusalem and he's teaching in the temple. This one, I can tell you guys, this, this the light of the world I am, when Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness but will have the light of life. I don't know if there's enough Sundays to preach on that. Um, this, this is the, the battle that I was talking about. That verse alone, you could go into all the different scripture references to light and how Jesus fulfills all those different scripture references. But what I think was going on here is that he was in the temple and he's talking to people who've been there for the, the feast and there were big lights by the altar that were meant to be in remembrance of that pillar of fire where God led his people through the wilderness back in Exodus. So they know that. They know that following that, that that's the remembrance of that. They know that following that keeps them on God's path. They know that that's going to lead them out of where they are. That's going to lead them to the promised land. They're following that pillar of light. And Jesus now stands there and says, I am that light in this world. You guys know that. You know what that meant. You know what that was about. I am that and more. That's a dangerous thing to do. That, I mean, who he was talking to and where he was, you guys understand, do you, real people, real place, real things, do you understand how bold of a statement he was making in that place? Do you understand the ramifications of that? I mean, that's scary. That's bold. That's something that only the I am could say when he says, I am the light of the world. 
just like they did as they followed that pillar of light back then, the really cool thing now is believers, if, if we're following Jesus, he is the light. If we're walking in that light and we're following it, it's not of our own light that we're doing these things. We can follow Jesus, we can know his path by following that light. It's in him and not in us. 1 John, 5, 1 John 1, 5 through 9 says, This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us all from sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all righteousness. Jesus is our provider and sustainer. Jesus is the very source of our spiritual understanding and our direction. When we jump over to John 10, John 10, 9. I love to hear pages turning. That's so awesome. Here Jesus says, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved, and he will go in and out and find pasture. Here Jesus is talking to Pharisees, and he's starting to use shepherd references, something that they would be very familiar with. He's also talking to them right after they've thrown out the beggar that Jesus healed by putting the mud on his eyes. They ask that, you know, who sinned? The beggar's answering, I, I'm just telling you what happened. I'm just telling you I was healed. I don't, I'm just, you know, I can't explain what's going on, but I'm telling you what happened, and I'm telling you he's the guy that did it, and they said, get out. Jesus is there saying, I'm the gate by which you come in. He's starting to do something really unique that we're going to see carried over in the next one as well, and that is that he's starting to differentiate, differentiate himself from the current religious leadership of the day. Jesus was not there to act like they were acting. He was not there to hold them to these strict laws and rules. Jesus was there to fulfill these things and be the gate by which you come in. So right on the heels of this beggar, he's talking to these guys, these Pharisees, and he's telling them, I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved, and he will come in and go out and find pasture. Once you have that life in Jesus, you can come in and go out. You can live this life abundantly once you've come through that gate. That is what he's providing for you. He is the means by which we gain access to the kingdom. Under his watch, our provision is given. There's a story, there's several different ideas about this, but as I was reading, there's a kind of a cool um, visual. And it was that sometimes when the shepherds would bring their sheep in and, and put them in a pen, then they would actually lay across the entrance to the pen. They would actually be the gate. And they did that to protect the flock. 
The flock could neither exit or enter without going through them, nor could anything that was coming to harm them. When Jesus is saying this, he's making reference to shepherds that these guys would understand and saying, I am that. I am laying a cross and I will protect those that are mine and they can come in and out under my watch. Jesus continues just a few verses later in 10:11. He says, "I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep." This is really a call out of those Pharisees that he's talking to. If you if you go back and read through this and l- let me pause for just a second. Putting this together I wrestled with how much to leave in and how much to take out. This is a very, there's, we're covering a lot of stuff today. We're really covering way too much stuff and not going into the depth that we really should cover this at. I decided that I wanted to stay at that level, and this is what I want to ask from you guys. I want to stay at that level so that then we can take these I am statements and go back to our small groups your coffees, your women's studies, your get-togethers. I would love to hear you guys taking these things and going back and diving into them deeper than we were able to cover this morning. That is fantastic. That's what I, I just kind of want to open these packages up and show them to you and then hear what you guys dig through together as a body. Um, I, I think that's a beautiful model. It's one that we try to promote here at our church by getting you guys together in your groups and studying but in today's case, it's going to be mandatory because uh, I, can't, I, I just can't get through the, the level that we need to. So Jesus again talking to these Pharisees. And now if you understand, the reason I, I pause there and say that is because I really want to go back and take you through this whole story. Um, but this is really a call out on these guys. He is really saying, you guys are Acting, you guys think you're shepherds, you guys think that you're doing, but you're nowhere near what you should be doing. You have lost what this is about, and you're making serious error. You would run if things got bad because you're in this for yourself. I am the good shepherd. That word good that's translated actually is bigger than just good. It it actually means like intrinsically good it means beautiful and it means fair so he's not just saying like I'm a good shepherd he's saying that I am an intrinsically good I am beautiful I am fair and I will lay down my life for this flock There's also kind of another little school of thought on this particular verse about how sometimes uh, rich owners, and we see different characters throughout the Bible history that get placed into position as shepherd, but they hired shepherds to go and watch over their flocks. That shepherd's really not invested in that flock beyond his paycheck too much. Jesus chose his flock. It's not a matter of a paycheck. This is something that... It's his love that drives him to lay down his life for us. He paid for our access to his kingdom. Jesus paid our access to his kingdom by laying down his life. If we jump over to 
John 11, 25 and 26. You guys know what's going on here is that Lazarus was just brought back, right? And so Jesus here is talking to Martha, and he says to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live, even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Man, there's so much good stuff in this about what they thought back then about resurrection and what certain sects thought about it versus what others did. And we could, uh, we could have a really good time with that. Um, but instead... I think what I want you guys to understand is that Martha understood some of that. She, she knew, um, she says as much in the, in the further verse, 25, 26. She says to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God who has come into the world. Wait a minute, did I jump too far? Oh, yeah, I did. In verse 24, he says, Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. She knows that he'll rise again in resurrection at the last day. She's not expecting him to call him out right there. The power that Jesus has to save you on the last day, but that resurrection power resides in him that he can do it right now as well. There's a lesson in here that's so much bigger than what's just at physical appearance in that Jesus is, is the resurrection and the life. Not he can show you or he has the power to, but he is, and he can do that right there in front of Martha. Is that statement bold? I mean, can you imagine if you're there and you're talking to him and you've lost your brother and he says, I am this? A lot of times with the students, we do that. We, we, we stop and we talk about how would you be feeling? What would you be thinking? What if Jesus had just said that to you? What if you were in this time of mourning and he was talking to you about he is the resurrection and the life? How would you deal with that? What would you say? Could you believe? Would you have faith? Jesus is making it very clear that he's not the path to, but he is the source of. The power of these things is part of who he is. Jesus is the power to resurrection and life eternal. John 14. We got another audience again. So we've gone through several different audiences. Now now Jesus is talking to his disciples. These are his friends. He's trying to prepare them for what's to come. And he's trying to prop them up a little bit. He had also just told them that one of them was a traitor and all of them were going to deny him or, or uh, all of them were going to betray him before things were done. So this is one of those times where if we're in, in uh, youth, this is where I would say to you guys, imagine if you're them. Imagine if your rabbi, who you've been traveling with, you're sitting there, and he's just told you that one among you will betray me, and all of you will before things are done. How are you feeling? Yeah, bad. <laughs> That's fair. 
scared. I mean, at, at, at minimum, I think I would be like, okay, well, I don't think I'm the traitor. Um, but I would be disturbed by that. I would be scared by that. This source of my truth and my comfort, my protection, the things I've seen him do, my belief in him, and now all of a sudden he's telling me he's going to leave me. What am I doing with that? I went kind of light on this one because it's so big, but I think this has been taught on so many Sundays. If you've not sat through a sermon on this uh, before, come back to our church. We'll let you sit through one here. Um, But what I wanted you to understand is that he's trying to assure them again. He's letting them know that even though physically I'm not here with you guys, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. In so many ways I can relate to how they're feeling. And again, in another commentary that I was reading, it it posed kind of some questions that I want to throw out to you guys. It said... I'm wandering about, and I don't know where I'm going. Jesus is the way. I'm confused, and I don't know what to think. Jesus is the truth. I'm dead inside, and I don't know if I can go on. Jesus is the life. I want to remind you guys again, brothers, sisters, saints that are here today, this is the world that we're trying to reach. They're wandering about and they don't know where to go. They're confused and they don't know what to think. Man, you don't have to turn the news on very long to see that. They're dead inside and they don't know where to find what's going to fill them. They don't know if they can even go on. You guys, sad reality. If you start looking at the suicide rates among youth, it's, it's scary. They're desperate for this. We need to understand that there's no other way into the presence of God than by accepting the Lord's death as payment in full for our sins. In Acts 4 it says, Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. Jesus is the only remedy that God's provided for man's sin problem. He's the only way to eternal life. And this is the truth that God's word tells us about this. So I know you guys have heard this taught on before where it says not a way, he's the way. He's not a truth, he's the truth. I know you guys have heard that before. But that is the truth. That is what God's word tells us. He is the only way into the presence of God. In John 15, some of my youth group that's a little bit older now we went through a time in our youth group where John 15 5 it kept coming up over and over and over it was like in every conversation John 15 5 kept coming up Uh, Shannon Pop it was one of his absolute favorite verses to teach on Jesus is still talking to his disciples at this point he says I am the vine you are the branches if a man remains in me and I in him he will bear much fruit but apart from me He can do nothing. This is such a cool one for me because this is a bit of a transition. In the ones before, Jesus is revealing who he is almost in a call, in a call out to people to say, 
they are this, but, but I am here and I am this, and this is what I am to you. This is a call out to me for people that are now in, people that know who he is, and now what do we do with that? How do we bear fruit? What do we do? We have to abide in him. And that word abide is such an amazing word. The power of that is incredible. Staying in. And the really cool thing is in this verse, it's not just that I abide in him, but he in me. There's a commitment here. There's a relationship that's happening in this abiding that in order for me to produce fruit, that I need to stay in him and he promises to stay in me. That is incredible. That's the source of the power. That's how you bear fruit. That's what he's telling us. If you try to do it of your own, you'll bear no fruit. Is this saying that I can't, I mean it says, apart from me you can do nothing. I just stand inanimate? Is that really what, what he's saying? He's saying apart from me you will not bear fruit. You can do. We see the world do. But the fruit comes when we're abiding in him and following him. It's our opportunity to go out. It's his power working through us. It's the branches living. It's the vine living from the branch. And it's really incredible that if you're in this walk and you get that, it gives you the humility to act out in those things. Once you realize that this fruit that's bearing is not because you're a super cool, super good Christian, but it's because you're abiding in him and him and you that it just gets abundant. And it's so cool. In 1 Corinthians it says, He will bring light to what is hidden in darkness and will expose the motives of men's hearts. And at that time, each will receive his praise from God. I have to abide in him. That power comes from him. If I try to step out, I'll be pruned. And I think even in Bible speak, we understand what that means. Spurgeon takes an interesting take on this verse. And, and I didn't want to disappoint because I figured there was probably some wagering going on about when I would work a Spurgeon quote into the Sunday. Um, Spurgeon says this about this verse, and, and it's, a, it's a really interesting perspective. He says, without me, ye can do nothing. If this be true of apostles, much more of opposers. If his friends can do nothing without him, I am sure his foes can do nothing against him. I heard some hmms. Hmm. So this isn't just about my power through him, but if his foes are not in him, they can do nothing against him. We're going to talk about that just a little bit later because I'm leading up to one of my verses that just blows my mind. So we're almost to that one. Stay with me. This one, if you were here a few Sundays ago, Pastor Jeff taught on this, and he did a very good job. So I don't want to spend a great deal of time in it, but we've gone through now the seven I am statements in John. If you go to just about anywhere, those are going to be the ones that they talk to you about. But because you came here, you get two bonus I am statements. No extra charge. One is found back in John 8.58. The power of this one alone is just absolutely incredible. 
He's back now talking to the religious leaders. Right where he had declared he was the light of the world. And, and after that he says, Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day. And he saw it and was glad. And then the Jews said to him, You are not 50 years old. And you've seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, Most assuredly I say to you, Before Abraham was, I am. That word, I think Jeff even talked through the ego, I me. That I am, that's the same thing that the burning bush, that's the same that came from that. That is the I am who I am, and that's what it says, and that's what is translated. And if you don't think that they knew what he was saying, look what happened next. The very next thing they did was they took up stones to throw at him. But Jesus, I'm falling back into my youth teaching, Jesus just ninjaed right out of there and, and nothing happened. Jesus declares there his deity. Jesus declares there that I am the I am. I am God. Jesus claims divinity. Jeff said when he was teaching on this, there are plenty of, of groups out there that will try to deny that, that will try to talk around that, that will try to tell you why that's not what Jesus was doing there. But I just say to you that the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the time, when he made the statement, you watch their next action and you'll see what they knew that he was claiming. Whoops, I tried to cheat you guys out of one. Okay, my favorite. I'm going to really nerd out here. John 18. This is the story they're in the garden, okay? They're coming to get Jesus and take him away. Familiar with the story? Okay, I was too. Uh, but we went through John uh, as part of our Bible study with the youth, and I read this verse, and I'm telling you guys, I've read this story. I've seen this in Sunday school. I saw the felt board. Uh, felt board is this thing that, that they put. Uh, they, they don't know what a felt board is. So uh, if you guys get the felt board joke, um, welcome to my world. Uh, but... Uh, I saw it. I knew it. I know this story. This verse is hidden in the story, and nobody ever preached on this verse to me, and it blows my mind. I see some of my youth smiling at me because I've nerded out so hard on this with them already. They're just like, oh, great, here we go again. So I want to just start at 18. I have to do this on this one. When Jesus had spoken these words, he went out with his disciples over the brook Kidron where there was a garden which he and his disciples entered. And Judas, who betrayed him, also knew the place, for Jesus often met there with his disciples. Then Judas, having received a detachment of troops, I want to stop there for a second. This is something that gets overlooked. It says a detachment of troops. So if you guys know this story, and you know that they were coming to get Jesus, how many soldiers were they bringing to get him? Got a guess at a number? Because I'll tell you on the felt board, there were like six. 
So in my mind, all the times I've heard this sermon taught and all the times I've read it, I think it's Judas, some of the religious leaders, and like six soldiers, and they come to get Jesus. But what is a detachment? A detachment, that word that's translated, could also be translated as a cohort. And a cohort is usually about 600 there's another word that's translated that could also mean that that could have been upwards of a thousand. So like I said earlier, I want to stop for a second. I want to take us back there. I want you guys to be in the garden. I want you to understand that this was a real place and this happened. And that Jesus is standing there and there are, let's say 600. Let's go with the low count. There are 600 hundreds soldiers marching up the road with torches and weapons to come and get Jesus. That made some noise. So Jesus hears it, knows what's happening anyway. This detachment is coming. There were also officers and chief priests of the Pharisees. So not only did you have 600 Roman soldiers, but you had the religious police you had their leaders, you had Judas. There's quite a group coming down the road. Jesus, therefore, knowing all things that would come upon him, went forward and said to them, Whom are you seeking? Man. I want to, I, I got a lot to cover in eternity because I need to hear how this went down. And they answered him with a derogatory comment. And when they said to him, he said, whom are you seeking? What did they say? Jesus of Nazareth. That's intended to be derogatory. I see the first time they say this because we're going to read a little bit further. I think their tone is going to change. It's Jesus of Nazareth. It's not Jesus, uh, son of Joseph. It's certainly not Jesus the Messiah. It's Jesus of Nazareth. And then Jesus answered them. And he said, I am he. Okay. The other bet that usually goes around is at what point is Larry going to call my Bible the hippie Bible? So... How many of you have that in your Bible and the he is in, is in italics? Okay, good. Shame. <laughs> have you ever wondered why that he is in italics? It's in italics up there. Why? Say again. Okay. Capital, but italics means this. It means that's not in the original manuscript. It means that a translator added that for clarification. So I need you to understand what that means. It, whoa. Did I do that, Mikey? <clears throat> whoa. Save that for a little bit because there's some parts coming where I, that'd be awesome. <laughs> so when, they, when he stepped up and said, whom are you seeking? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. What he said was, I am. Whew. 
you're a Roman soldier. You know who this guy's claiming. You're the religious leader police. You know why you're going to get him. And he just stepped up to the road. It wasn't like, a, well, I haven't seen him around here, so good luck finding him or anything like that. What he stepped up and he said, I am. What happened next? This is the verse that nobody ever taught me. He stepped up and he said, I am. And then when he said that, I am, they drew back and they fell to the ground. 600 soldiers and the religious police and the religious leaders and Judas, all the people that marched in there to take Jesus by force, Jesus stepped to the road and he said, I am. And the power of him declaring who he is put them on the ground. This is what Jesus says about himself. This is who Jesus is. The rest of these things I've talked to you about, the power that is in him, the power that is him, but this one is so physically demonstrated that it blew my mind. I never read that before. I knew the story. I knew they marched in. I knew they got him. But I'd never read that part where it says, he stepped forward and said, I am, and they fell back to the ground. That's the Jesus that you came here today to worship. And then Jesus, I mean this guy. Then he asked them again, whom are you seeking? This time I think I hear their voice change a little bit. I think the first time it was Jesus of Nazareth. I think this time it's more like Jesus of Nazareth. <laughs> and Jesus answered, I have told you that I am. I really want to go into the rest of that. Do you guys see that? That bonus I am, it, is, uh, it just blew my mind. And I don't know if you guys had read those before and you were part of that and you understood it, but I certainly hadn't. Um, and I thought I knew that story pretty well. So if you're hearing that for the first time today, welcome. Uh, I hope you're as mind blown as I was by it. I love the way God weaves things together. I love the fact that um, this Sunday uh, came together for a lot of different reasons and the opportunity to stand up here and share with you guys um, is, is so amazing for me. And then I found out last Sunday as I'm trying to massage and ever put everything together, I was reminded that it's Communion Sunday. And I want to tell you guys that communion is something that we as a church do together as a body of believers in remembrance of the things that Jesus has done. And we've talked all morning about the power of Jesus and who he says I am and, the, and just the fact that he says I am. Before Abraham was, I am eternal. If you're here and you're hearing about this Jesus for the first time and it's intriguing... I want you to understand that there's so many people here that would love to sit with you and talk to you about it. 
I would love to sit with you and talk to you about it. If you've been coming here and you're a believer or you've called yourself a believer and it's just gotten a little bit stale, maybe this morning's power and the boldness of Christ saying who he is has shaken you a little bit. I pray that you guys fall back into that, that you know that the Jesus you serve is this all-powerful Jesus that, again, by just declaring his name, would put people on their faces. And in the midst of all that, we're going to take communion in remembrance of the things that he did. It's really cool. I couldn't have put this together. Um, it's, it's really fantastic. So before we get to communion, I'd like to do this. This is that part where the, the preacher gets weird and things get awkward for you if, if you've not come to relationship with Christ yet. But... I can't stop from, not, from doing this. So here's what we're going to do. If, if this Jesus that you've heard about today, if this is the first time you're hearing about it, or this has gotten you to a point where you think you'd like to know him, you'd like to go into relationship with him because that's what he's about. He's here to provide you with that way to eternity. He's here so that your life now can be in abundance. If you want that, if you want a part of that, it's not a difficult thing to do. We're not going to put you through 18 weeks of classes and then make you take an exam to see if you're worthy. That's not how it works. It works like this. I'm going to pray with you guys, and, and it's not anything special, but I want to take you through how you can do that and how you can come into relation so that today, how cool would it be if today's communion is the first communion that you get to take as a new believer in Christ? That today you could share communion with this body of believers that wants to come around you and love you and walk you towards that relationship and deepen that relationship. If you guys would pray with me.